Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our scripture lesson and the, and the sermon text this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in the fifth chapter this morning, taking a look at verses 10 through 20. So again, we are Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 20. It says this. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them increase. But what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the surfeit of the rich will not let them sleep. There is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hands. As they came from their mother's womb, so they shall go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing from their toil, which they may carry away with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from toiling for the wind? Besides, all their days they eat in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and resentment. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of the life God gives us, for this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil, this is the gift of God. For they will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. This is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. I think I've told some of you, um, but I went to Carolina to be a dentist. See, my dentist growing up was the cool guy. He wore shorts and flip-flops in the office. He had great tickets to all the Carolina football and basketball games. He always had a pair of sunglasses sitting on top of his head. I wanted to be like him. And so when the course catalog came out the summer before my freshman year, I looked up all the prerequisites that were necessary to try to get into dental school. And as you would imagine, it was heavy on the sciences, uh, particularly chemistry. And I'm not what you would necessarily call a science guy. One of the required classes then was called Foundations of Chemistry, and I went back online this week to look it up. And it's still there, but now they call it Chem 100. And here's what the class description is for Chem 100. It says, this course emphasizes developing contextualized algebra skills for solving chemistry problems, including physical unit conversions, molar mass, and reaction stoichiometry. (laughs) 
That's one of the basic classes. <laughs> the other descriptions were a little more complex, so I remember thinking to myself, well, <laughs> dentistry is out. Now let's see what else happens over the course of the next few semesters. Well, then came sophomore year, and that's the time when you really start to think about where it is or where it is you want to major and what kind of career you may want to lay out for yourself. And by that time, I had taken and enjoyed a number of political science classes, and so that's the path I decided to take. And I enjoy political history, particularly the history behind political campaigns, predominantly presidential campaigns. I like hearing about, reading about what went wrong, what went right, what was a product of bad timing, what was a product of poor choices, things like that. And I thought back to some of those classes I took as I was reading our Ecclesiastes passage this morning. And so that seems kind of odd. We see the word I kept coming back to was contentment. And the question of well, what is it that makes you content and happy? Because we all want to be content, don't we? And this desire is so widespread. I can remember one of the things we learned about in college is that just about every campaign always revolves around the same theme. And most years that theme is around contentment. In 1856, John Fremont's slogan was free soil, free labor, free speech, free men, Fremont. And then four years later, Abraham Lincoln told citizens to vote yourself a farm. In 1900, William McKinley guaranteed a full dinner pail. And then in 1928, Herbert Hoover promised a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. And then every four years, as the presidential campaign season cranks up from the primaries all the way through the general election, we know what the candidates are going to promise us, don't we? Every four years, we are promised jobs and full bellies and flush bank accounts because it's human nature to think that those things is what leads to happiness and contentment. So let me ask you, does it seem like our country is content? Are you content? Because you see, over 240 years of candidates and campaigns and policies and promises have not delivered the happiness and contentment that you and I long for. But the fault doesn't lie as much with presidents and their failed promises as it is with, I think, a fundamental misunderstanding of where contentment lies and how we can get it. And this morning, King Solomon is trying to clear it up for us. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, what you see is a little earlier than the chapter we read this morning. Solomon tells us that contentment is never going to be found in pleasure, in wisdom, in toil, or in advancement. And then here in chapter 5, he's telling us that contentment is never going to be found in work or wealth. And what I find interesting is that here you have Solomon... A man who gained more pleasure, wisdom, work, and wealth than anyone alive at that time. Coming to the realization that none of these bring contentment. This morning he is telling us that trying to find meaning and purpose and contentment in work and in wealth is bound to fail. And I thought what you and I would do this morning is take a look at the passage verse by verse because he first tells us in verse 10 that the lover of money will not be satisfied with money 
nor the lover of wealth with gain. Y'all know who America's first billionaire was? It was John D. Rockefeller. And one time, John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much is enough? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. That attitude is a little more common than we want to admit, isn't it? No matter how big our last raise was, we wish it was a little bit bigger. No matter how new our car is, we wish it was a little bit newer. No matter how big our house is, we wish it was a little bit bigger. And having that kind of thinking, that just a little bit more is going to make me content, is like chasing a mirage. Because we're never going to get there. Verse 11, he says, When goods increase, those who eat them increase. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? This one I had to spend a lot of time with this week to figure out what it means. What it means simply is having more will not solve our problems. The more you have, the more people want a piece of what you have. Think about the college basketball star right after he gets drafted to the NBA. When they were putting in the endless hours of practice, the early morning runs, the late night shooting sessions, all the hard work necessary to achieve greatness, they were alone. But when the big paychecks start coming in, all of a sudden they have a lot more friends than they knew they had, don't they? Lots of folks around wanting to help them spend their money. Or how about the lottery winners that all of a sudden find out just how many long-lost cousins they had that they didn't know about? Does this sound like something that would bring contentment? The other problem, which is so obvious that we're often blind to it, is that the more you have, actually the less you can use. Our children's lesson was a prime example of that. As we acquire more and more stuff, not only do our souls remain empty, but now we just simply got more and more stuff lying around that we don't look at or pick up or use. How much stuff do we have in our homes that do little more than just gather dust? Does that make us content? In verse 12 he says, Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the surfeit, which is a word for excess, the excess of the rich will not let them sleep. One thing we have in common with money with the folks in Solomon's time is that we think having more will bring peace. Solomon observed in his own time that the laborer who has only the basic necessities gets a good night's sleep no matter how much or how little he has to eat. But on the other hand, the rich man, the man who has time for leisure and all the best food, he can't sleep because he's eating too much or he has too much going on in his life and he can't unwind. Having more money does not bring peace. It actually does the opposite. It brings more anxiety. I think the modern-day philosopher Christopher Wallace put it best back in 1997 when he said, more money, more problems. <laughs> Some of y'all got it, and I appreciate that. <clears throat> then verses 13 through 16, he says, There is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hands. As they came from their mother's womb, so shall they go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing from their toil, which they may carry away with their hands. 
This is also a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from toiling for the wind? I think maybe the most popular and seemingly virtuous reason we've placed so much value and purpose on work and wealth is because we want to secure the future for ourselves and our family. Solomon kind of pours a little cold water on that, doesn't he? The situation he describes is anything but rare. A person works hard for decades in order to retire comfortably and be able to provide for his family's future, but then calamity strikes. A catastrophic illness, a stock market crash, a failed pension fund, or years in an expensive nursing home. And the nest egg is wiped out. And Solomon closes with a cold, hard truth that money, no matter how much we have, cannot provide security. And so in the end, hoping to find peace and contentment and work and wealth is just as futile as trying to catch and contain the wind. Kind of hard to argue with Solomon here, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, we know from experience that work and wealth in and of themselves do not lead to contentment. They lead to sleepless nights and anxiety about the future and uncertainty regarding our purpose in life because the very things that may seem so meaningful at the time end up being very meaningless. And it's true. If our goal to make money is for the sake solely of getting rich, wealth is meaningless. If we work hard hoping that hard work will make us feel content, our work is meaningless. If the entire focus of life is providing certainty and security for our children through our wealth, it's all meaningless because we can't guarantee either of those things. Naked you came in from your mother's womb and naked you will depart and everything which you found meaning in your life will turn out to be meaningless. Why? Because we confuse our identities as children of God and instead see our identities in what we do or what we have. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because Solomon goes on, he says, this is what I've seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun a few days of the life that God gives us. For this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil, this is a gift of God. For they will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. Now, wait a minute. Did Solomon just contradict everything he just said earlier? Why is he now talking about finding joy in wealth? and possessions, and work. What has changed? Well, what has changed is that for the first time, God enters the picture. And God changes everything. When God is put into the equation, then work and careers and money and saving for the future are not meaningless. They are seen rightly as gifts from a gracious giver. There are means that God uses to sustain our short lives on this earth as we look forward to spending eternity with Him because in the end, God knows and God wants us to know that heaven is the only place where we will truly, finally, perfectly be content. And God uses the pain and toil and maybe sometimes meaninglessness of this world to remind us, hey, look, you're not made for this world. 
God's primary objective is not to, for us to get comfortable in this world, but to live in and with Him. And the only way for that to happen is through faith in Jesus. To live with God through faith in Jesus means to confess that in one sense, everything, our jobs, our careers, our hard work, our savings, our lives, are meaningless because none of that has met the standard of perfection that God demands. Hoping to find value and meaning in our work and wealth is meaningless because even the best we have to offer is nothing more than filthy rags in God's sight. And so for this life to have and mean anything, we must look away from our work and wealth and instead look to Christ to be more like him. His work was meaningful because it was perfect. His life had purpose because he lived to please God and his life was precious because he took it and sacrificed it for each and every one of us on the cross. Even his death had meaning because it paid for every last one of our sins. And then God raised Jesus from the dead to prove beyond all doubt that everything he did has meaning for us now and forever. Paul explains just what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means for us in Romans when he says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus' life and his death overflow with meaning because they meant that his life and our work and our stuff and our money is not all that there is. His life fills your life with meaning because heavenly riches and true peace and security and contentment aren't something we have to work for. They're God's gift given to us through Christ. And through faith in Jesus, even the most meaningless aspects of life have meaning. Tomorrow morning when your alarm rings and you hit snooze one, two, or three times, I want you to remember what Solomon tried to teach us this morning. That you can find satisfaction in your work because that is the work God has given you. And if God has blessed you with a job you love or wealth and possessions and time to enjoy them, then give thanks for that because that is a truly rare and wonderful blessing. But let's not waste our time griping or grumbling that we don't make enough, we don't have enough, because God has promised to give you just exactly what it is that you need. Don't let this life become all about working and accumulating stuff because that's just as pointless as chasing after the wind. And don't waste your time thinking about what might have been or dreaming about what could be, because the past is history and the future lies with God. Instead, occupy your thoughts with the rich blessings God has given and promised you in Jesus. Enjoy today for today and let God worry about tomorrow. And instead of praying for more, Pray for the rare ability to be content with what God has already given and promised you. And when you live like that, with a light grasp on the things of this life, of both arms wrapped around that heavenly treasure God gives through faith, that's when life truly has 
meaning. That kind of life is free from worry and anxiety because it knows that work and money are not the goal of this life. Heaven is. That's the secret to true contentment. Money can't buy it. But when you seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, he promises, he promises that all these things will be given you as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care.